Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 237, recorded July 10th, 2016. So today we're doing ongoing 57 and 58, finishing off the Spock miniseries that we started yesterday, or last week, excuse me. And then we're doing Manifest Destiny issue number one. Cool. So that's a four-parter? Uh, the Spock thing was a four-parter, yeah. Oh, uh, the Manifest, Manifest Destiny, Destiny, also a four-parter. <laughs> cool. Cool. Right. Well, I like the first issue. Lots of action. I think it bodes well for the entire four-issue arc. Right. A, a very big departure from the Spock story that we've done over the last four issues. Because, you know, those were very story-driven. Mm-hmm. And so when we suddenly jump gears into Manifest Destiny, it's it's just action, 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 action. Uh, it it kind of took me aback. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where the Spock one was mostly a little more cerebral or a little more character-driven. Yeah, no two ways about it. Star Trek also does nonstop action, and uh, that's definitely what they do with Manifest Destiny so far in issue one. I have not read the other issues. Yeah, I haven't got past issue number one, but uh, so far I'm really enjoying it. Yes. Anyway, Legacy of Spock, though, is pretty cool, too. Definitely it was bidding a fond ado to Leonard Nimoy and, right. and celebrating the character, and I think he did a pretty good job. Yeah, great. Didn't go where I thought it was going to go, but I don't want to talk about that until nope. afterwards. Cool. But yeah, I really liked it. Okay. Before we start, should we talk about the fate of the ongoing comic series? Uh, yeah. So I, guess I, don't, I don't think we have so far. I don't believe so either. So after these two issues, 57 and 58, there will be only two more issues of this ongoing series. Yes. So It'll let's end hope... At 60. <laughs> Let's hope they, they start with a, another ongoing or some kind of, whatever they call it, whether it's ongoing or not, but some ongoing Calvin timeline series of stories. Right. I, I hope they will. I mean, because the new movie's out now at the time of the releasing of this episode. I haven't seen the new movie yet, but my guess is something will happen to the Enterprise because the trailers really look like it's going to eat it at this yep. episode. Yeah. This movie. And then there'll be a new Enterprise, and kind of like how DC Volume 1 was, you know, here's the brand new Enterprise kind of thing. Uh, I'm kind of, I don't know, kind of get the feeling that maybe that's what IDW is going to do, is start over at issue number one, because it'll be issue number one of the new Enterprise, even right. though it'll be the same crew, hopefully. Yeah, and the idea of them starting all over just because there's a new Enterprise doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but you mentioned how... They've been publishing for five years now. Right, yeah. So, so I guess 60 will be five years since issue number one. So the five-year mission of the comic, I guess it's over. Okay, I guess that's a justification. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's more... The justification's more uh, issues number... Number one issues sell better than issue 61s. There you go. 
Yeah. That's my guess, but I, I don't know. And, of course, we're only assuming that it's going to keep going. It yeah, better. It better. Yeah, with the new TV series coming out, I would think Star Trek's going to, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like the 90s, where we're going to get Star Trek everything. <laughs> Movies, TV shows, comic books, right. video games. Yeah, and I wouldn't doubt not only we would have some form of ongoing to cover the movies, but also probably for the new TV show. Yep, hopefully. And I would think IDW would be doing it. They're quite good at it. Oh, I didn't even think about that. What if IDW is going to lose the rights? Ah, and that's why doing it. I can't see how they would do that. I don't know. Business is business. You never know what motivation. Yeah, Marvel, DC, they've all, they're all bigger than IDW has ever been, and they've all lost the rights at one point or another. Right, right. Okay, well, let's hope not. Hmm. Interesting. I hadn't even thought about that, Ken. Now you've bummed me out. Uh, I did, I, we don't know what's happening, everybody. So, Yeah, 100% uh, speculation there. Let's hope we're, we're going forward. And I will attempt to be doing some research on this, darn it. Because IDW definitely should be... Don't, shouldn't they have a, a press release or something talking about this? About the end of the series? End of the series. Shouldn't they? Uh, I think they've... They've just released that it's going to be the last issue of the series. I, I haven't seen anything that says there's another one coming. Okay, well, so that's something for research for the next uh, episode. So right. shall we get uh, going with uh, Legacy of Spock? Number three, sure. Let's do it. Excellent. Cover A shows Spock and Picard standing together with a planet and a bright source of light right behind them in the background. The subscription cover presents Spock from the pecs up with two former members of Nero's crew behind him. A planet is exploding behind them. The cover is by Angel Hernandez. In issue number 57, we saw Spock in exile from his now nomadic people. His attempts to warn them of their disastrous choice for a new home world goes unheeded. With no home, Spock goes to where he feels he can do something of worth, Romulus in hopes of sowing the seeds of a lasting peace between the Romulans and Vulcans decades ahead of when it started in the original timeline, Spock tries to make contact with an important senator, but is arrested. Preparations begin for Spock's trial for crimes against the Empire. On Romulus, in the 24th century of the original timeline, Captain Picard and Data are meeting with Ambassador Spock in what appears to be an old underground passageway. They are carefully making their way to the capital city's perimeter before the recently deactivated security grid can be reactivated. Picard is impressed the ambassador is trying to achieve peace in such a dangerous place at his age. Spock is impressed that a Starfleet captain is personally attempting to collaborate with an underground dissident political movement. Picard says Spock's work has changed his mind about the inevitability of continued conflict between the Romulan Empire and the Federation. Spock says his Romulan collaborators convinced him peace is possible. The three join a group of seven Romulans, most of them relatively young. Spock says they represent the future. Over the next several decades, Spock dedicated his life to grow the peace until it all came to a crashing end with the destruction of Romulus. Vulcan was blamed. A new timeline, one century prior, still on Romulus. Spock is standing manacled before a crowd of Romulans. 
it's his trial. The two survivors of Nero's ship and the original timeline give testimony to the destruction of Romulus in their timeline and Spock's part in it. The Romulan judge accuses Spock of seek to destroy Romulus in both his and their timelines. Spock states he failed in his attempt to save Romulus and failed to stop Nero from destroying Vulcan. For the latter failure, he was exiled from his people, and from the former, he is on trial today. He says he is on Romulus, trying to foster some kind of peace between their two peoples, before further tragedy occurs. A female prosecutor calls him a liar and says he is on Romulus at the direction of the Vulcan High Council. Spock's final statement is a warning of the Hobo Star that is as unstable in this timeline as it was in Spock's. They still have time to prepare for the coming of its impending supernova and save their people. The judges heard enough and find Spock guilty and Senator Pardek for collaborating with him. They will both be executed in the morning. Pardek and Spock are taken away to a transport ship. They speak to each other of hopes that their words may be believed by enough moderate Romulans that a difference may be made. One of the guards removes Pardek's manacles, then Spock's. Spock expresses surprise that Pardek's efforts towards peace is this well organized. Pardek says everything changed after Vulcan's destruction, but Spock's arrival has emboldened them. The transport is ordered to return to the pad. When they don't, two patrol ships come after them. Luckily, the dissidents planned well ahead for this eventuality and successfully sabotaged the patrol ships that go down in billowing smoke. Later, in a transport hangar, Spock and Pardek speak to Sereno Jones. Surprisingly, Jones has decided it is in his long-term best interest to join Pardek's movement. A freer, more open society is good for business. Jones will transport Spock off of Romulus, and the new cloaking device he just installed should get them past the patrols. Spock expresses concern for Pardek's safety. Pardek says, stay he must. The movement needs him. Spock states his hope that this timeline, the Vulcan High Council will listen to his news, that the Romulans have the last remaining red matter and plan to attack the Vulcan refugee fleet with it. Spock says, live long and prosper to Senator Pardek. Senator Pardek says, Holan true, Spock. Meanwhile, in the Vulcan refugee fleet, Sarek is telling the elder Tapa of Spock's message, warning of Romulan plans to attack the fleet. Sarek makes a strong case for taking the warning seriously. Back on Romulus, plans are made for the two followers of Nero to pilot a ship containing the last of the red matter into the midst of the Vulcan refugee fleet. Once there, detonate the red matter. Back at the Vulcan fleet, Spock has arrived and is speaking to Elder Tapaha. Elder Tapaha believes Spock and Sarek and states they should make their stand here at SETI Alpha 5. Sarek recommends they contact Starfleet to contribute to their protection. Spock agrees, but warns with grim resignation that the Romulans will send every ship, every soldier, and every weapon they have until the last Vulcan is dead. To be continued. Every single one dead. Everyone. 
the last Vulcan, and they will use the la- every ship, every ship, to make it happen. So why do they hate the Vulcans so much in this timeline? Well, I think they said, like in the first couple issues, at least some of the Romulans said, they expect retribution. It's a Romulan that went ahead, Nero, that went ahead and destroyed their entire world. Payback, baby. And it's the Romulans that are ultimately responsible, right? Right. A Romulan blew them up, although a different timeline, you know, that, that's what they think. So they're, they think they're protecting themselves. Right. But then the Vulcans and Kirk are the ones that gave him them the red matter. So yes, not I a think good that idea. would have fostered some sort of trust. Well, that was what the hope was, wasn't it? Right. Didn't work. No. <laughs> no. But the thing is, I think they're showing very clearly that not everybody in in the Romulan society agrees with this reaction, with this approach. Right. They probably, well, unification. Some people are supporting the idea of unification, or at least not doing any further attacks on the Vulcans. Right. So I was thinking at this point, are they going to be able to muster enough dissidents within the Romulan structure to stop what appears to be the Romulan leadership who says, yeah, kill the rest of the Vulcans. Right. Well, is, is, is that what's going to save them at the end? That's what I was thinking at this point. Right. Yeah. Because Pard- yeah. Pardek definitely seem, has a lot more <laughs> a yeah. lot more stuff going on. He's able to shake and move some things. He got them uh, sprung, which is pretty pretty impressive. And they were able to disable all the guard ships so, to make yep. sure that they did get away. So, yeah, yep. it was a pretty impressive escape plan. Yeah. So if they were able to do that, well... Yeah, I was at this point. I was thinking, "Wow, okay, so some of the ships within the Romulan attack fleet may be manned by people, Part dissidents." People, yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. So, are they going to turn on each other? Are they going to attack? You know, the the ship where the red matter's in. I don't know. That's, That's what point. I thought. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But if they're really going to attack with every single ship they have from the whole empire, yep. I mean, does the few ships that the Vulcan would they even stand a chance? I mean, I don't even see why you would need the red matter to destroy, oh, you know, true. this like Battlestar Galactica, you know, the, the <laughs> just a few handfuls of ships and that's like their whole society. Yeah, it's just a ragtag fleet. Right. And I I, I the pictures they've shown of the fleet, I don't see a Battlestar there. So, <laughs> you know, right. maybe some of those ships are 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 attack ships or, you know, big defensive cruiser kind of things, but they all look kind of sort of the same and they don't look that intimidating. Right. I think it's the next issue, but maybe it was this one which stated that, you know, they're all designed for um, defense and ex- exploration and not attack. Right. So. So they don't yeah. have much of a chance. Yeah. Even so without the red matter. Agreed. Now, now how does Spock know they're going to come with every ship? Does he know, I mean, his decades on Romulus in the original timeline, his experience I, I in Pardek, general? I, I thought Pardek probably told him that on the on the way out. Well, how would Pardek know? He's got his spies everywhere. Okay. I don't know, man. I'm just saying. 
And then from that last page, that's what it looks like is really happening. So it's not just <laughs> some idle fantasy. Exactly. It's not, not blowing smoke. <laughs> and that is a really cool picture. Yeah, I really like the way a lot of those ships look like a cross between next generation Romulan ships and the original series Romulan ships. I completely agree. May I say Speaking a few things? Speaking of Cylons, some of them look like Cylon faces now that I look at it again. Uh, so with the ships? Like a visor almost. Yeah. The ships? Yeah. <clears throat> well, they definitely got the, like, the old-fashioned Taz heavy cruiser Romulan ship that looks like it's got a face on it. Right. Or a whole head. A face and head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So that medium size, some of those medium-sized ships, mm-hmm. like with the black wraparound window, yeah, that could be right. like a Cylon thing if it had yeah. a little red thing going back and forth. Right, exactly. Getting back to the big heavy cruiser that they depict here on this page, because this is supposed to be like 100 years before Taz, right? Right. Like 80 years, whatever the number is. Right. So, you know, they shouldn't be flying around in Taz-looking ships. Although this looks pretty close. The engine looks pretty close. The front of it that looks like a head looks really close. The top back of it, the back of it looks like it. It just doesn't have that lower wedge or that lower arch that right. forms that open spot in the middle. doesn't have that. But other than that, it's pretty close to the Taz era. Taz or Next Generation? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Next Generation. Yeah. That's Next Generation is the one that has that open. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I was trying to did, did I yeah. Did I say Taz the whole you time? You kept saying Taz, and I kept thinking oh. you meant Next Generation. So. I did. Next Gen. <laughs> TNG, baby. Right. Anyway, so that ship looks really good. And then there's another one that looks like it might be a bit smaller. That's similar, but not quite the same kind of look to it. And then there's another one that's the like in the middle that has the same kind of transport look to it as the one that Spock and Pardek were sprung from, or they were going to be transported to their death. Right. So there's like at least three different green ships. And then there's a whole slew of these white, really asymmetrical ships. They're really interesting, and there's a ton of them. What the about ones those? that look like the patrol, the patrol ships that were disabled on the way out. Oh, is that? I think they kind of really? look the same. Okay. Yeah, because well, these... the weird one wing is kind of up, and it looks like it might even fold out. But yes, yeah, it's the same one. Well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, very it's, very weird design. I've never seen that before. Yeah, and it's not green, so odd. So it's got a central a central part, which is kind of let's just let's just say it's roughly tubular. It isn't really, but you know it's long and thin. And then it's got these two kind of, for a lack of a better word, like wing things that come out, and they've got like ninety degree like hinges or something. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's very asymmetrical and very unique, very different, but I still don't understand them. Right. Yeah, and it's weird because, yeah, one wing looks more like a traditional pylon-type wing from a, uh, from a Romulan ship, and then the other one is that hinge-looking fold-out one. Right. I don't, I don't, see, don't see where they came up with that. It, it's different. Well, in most cases, form follows function, but... I don't see how this form follows any function. <laughs> yeah, when we saw them in the atmosphere, I thought, well, maybe, maybe it would, there would be some advantage in the atmosphere, but I can't think of any. 
Yeah. But then later when we see them in in orbit or whatever, then then no, there's there's actual spacecraft, not just aircraft. Right. Oh, interesting. I, different. I, it's it's interesting and different, but I I, I hate to say it. Uh, different for the sake of being different. Right. So I, I think, you know, unless well, there's something th- going on here, but. Right. Well, what do you think of all the Vulcan ships? I, I was a little disappointed there, because they all looked exactly the same, just yeah, different. They're lengths. boring. Yeah. They're boring. Yeah. And I've never seen that design either, so it's kind of. Looks like almost like a subway coming out of little round, <laughs> uh, little round rings or something like that. Right, like a lot of Vulcan ships, they've got the uh, the ring thing in the back that I guess the warp field is generated with for propulsion. Right. Which okay, but yeah, you're right. The the rest of it looks like like a subway train or something, and some are longer than others. Um, yeah, it just looks like some some ships are further out of the tunnel than other. Because <laughs> <laughs> they all exactly the 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 cone, the tip yeah. of the cone looks the same. Right. It just depends on how much of this uh, subway's come out of the the train yeah. or the tunnel. It it it's an interesting look. It is, and maybe that's an engineering design feature. So. The basic way you build the ships are the same. It's just a question of how many, uh, you know, how segments how many segments have. exactly. Because yeah. some look like they have a smaller number of segments, so they're shorter, and others look, you know, so you can have the same basic kind of pieces, but you can have different capacities depending upon how many, how far, how long you want to make it. Right. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, that seems very logical. Very logical indeed, <laughs> and not very interesting, quite frankly. Right, but kind of like with the Borg, they don't go for interesting, they go for function. It serves its purpose, therefore it is. Yep. Yep. So, excellent drawing. Artist work is great. Ships look really great, people look really great. Typical IDW excellence. Absolutely. So what did you think of the Picard thing at the beginning? Was it a little just gratuitous just to have him in there, or did you think it added something to the story? Well, they wanted to remind you of what I think most people reading the book probably already know, that Spock did spend decades on Romulus trying to have peace and trying to do reunification. So I think they just want to remind you of that, but they did dedicate a lot of pages to that, and I thought it was gratuitous. It was a reason to stick the card on the cover. Right. Yeah, I didn't think that was necessary. But that's good seeing Data in the card. Yeah, it was basically a quarter of the book, and yeah. and I just thought it was just you could have done that with just one or two pages. Yeah, and in that scene, they're in the tunnels, and there's that little wasp-looking drone that flies by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that I don't remember that in reunification the episodes. Uh, maybe that's something that they wanted to do, but just didn't have the money. I don't know, or maybe it's just something the artist. Or maybe the writer just threw in there as an extra little bit of detail. Right. So Mike Johnson or perhaps Tony Shasty. Yeah, I was just not sure if it was actually in the episode and I couldn't remember. I don't remember that being yeah. I didn't remember I any certainly... drones. I just remember them showing up underground and Spock right. being there. Right. Yep. Cool. 
So really so, good um, issue, I, and I have nothing oh. else to say about it. Good. So Serio Jones is quite a bit Cyrano? different than Serino Jones. Excuse me, quite a bit different than uh, he's changed his tune in this issue. He's now going to work for the Resistance or whatever it is, right? Not which, selling dribbles, which seems very unlikely. <laughs> I mean, that's great because it's great that Spock's got a ride back, but. Um, and it's great that he's got a cloaking device. Very handy, Cyrano. But it's like, really? I mean, he's going to be risking his life. And yeah, I could see where a more open society would lead to better commerce. But like, yeah, you could have commerce in other parts of the quadrant and not risk your life. Right. Which seems like more of something that Cyrano Jones would do. But this is an alternate universe, so some people's morals might be a little different. Mm, maybe. Definitely their eye gear is different. Oh, the little goggles? The goggles. Cyrano Jones goggles here. <laughs> All right, I don't have anything else. You want to move on to issue 58? Let's do it. Let's see how this ends. I think we got some action coming up here. Uh, potentially, yep. All right, so issue number 58 came out in June of 2016. Uh, Ken didn't mention the art staff from the previous issue, but I think it's all the same. It's Mike Johnson is the writer. Tony Shaston is the artist. Uh, Roberto Orki is the story consultant. David Monstralardo is the colors and world design letterers. Sarah Gatos is the editor. Neil Yutaki, production design and Ted Adams is the publisher. So there's two covers that I found for this. The first one shows the Leonard Nimoy version of Spock's face, and it's split equally into three vertical stripes. So the left side shows a tinted blue version of the Taz TV series, Spock. And then the middle section is tinted in red and shows movie-era Spock. And then the left side is tinted yellow and shows the Kelvin timeline of old Spock. All Leonard Nimoy. Three different times in his life. It's a pretty cool painting. And then cover B is a painting that shows the Kelvin era Kirk holding a phaser with the Quinto Spock behind him. And then we also see a Starfleet swoosh and then we see some sort of planet behind them. So the story starts in the orbit of Seti Alpha 5, and there is an all-out war between the Romulans and the Vulcan Remnant. Uh, on the planet, Spock meets with the Vulcan elders about what's going on in the battle. The elders refuse to call for assistance from Starfleet, and they almost seem resigned to their inevitable fate. Within the battle, Nero's last two followers prepare to take the last of the red matter into the heart of the fray and detonate it. The male's name is Arix, and he tells the female, Rila, that uh, there's no reason for them both to die and that she can beam back to one of the other craft if she wants to. She refuses, stating that their destiny is to destroy all of the Vulcans. Suddenly, the battle shifts as the Enterprise arrives with the promise of more Starfleet ships on the way. The Vulcan Elder informs Kirk that they did not send a distress signal. He tells her that a Romulan fleet crossing the neutral zone is more than enough to get their attention. As more Starfleet ships arrive, the Romulans suddenly pull back, 
all except for the one that races to the center of the Vulcan ships. Within the tiny craft, the two Nero followers prepare the red matter. Once all the other Romulan ships are safely away, Oryx suddenly nerve pinches Rila and asks her for forgiveness. He then changes course of the ship and contacts the Vulcans and the Federation. He tells them that he is just a simple miner who has lost way too much. He's lost his home, his timeline, his leader, and his ship. He tells them that he does not want to see any more needless destruction, so he takes the red matter far enough away from the other ships and detonates it, thus ending the looming threat of the red matter to this universe. Back on the planet, Old Spock urges the Vulcan elders not to set up the last Vulcan colony on Seti Alpha 5. They still do not believe him, and so he performs a mind meld with them all. He only shows them what they need to know. We see his birth, his life within Starfleet in the separate timeline, his eventual sacrifice in an attempt to save the universe from the supernova that sent him here to this timeline. They now believe him, and they will find another planet. The years pass, and the new Vulcan colony thrives. Spock feels that his time in this universe is coming to an end, and feels that he has indeed lived long and a prosperous life. Flash forward 3,000 years to the future. Uh, two Vulcans are looking up at a statue of Spock, and one tells his daughter that this is Spock, one of the greatest Vulcans ever to live. She asks why his statue is so much smaller than the giant statues of other Vulcans that loom over them. He tells her that when Spock gave permission to commission this statue, his only request was to make it life-size, because anything else would be illogical. The end. Dun, 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 dun. All right. So we know ultimately how Spock ends up. That's my one complaint about the story. What? I wanted to know. What killed him off? Oh. <laughs> I really thought this was going to end with him sacrificing his life again in order exactly. to save another universe. That's what I thought, too. So. And definitely he put his life on the line quite a bit in these issues. But ultimately... Oh. Uh, what? Yeah, no, absolutely agreeing with you. Right. But ultimately, it sounds like he had a better path where he was able to help rebuild on the new planet, not set the Alpha 5, and then he died a ripe old age, sounds like. Right. So that's good. That's that's what you want to see. Yeah. I'm not saying I don't like it. It's just not what I was, was, what I was expecting. Yeah. And I, and I would have liked to have known definitively how he died, right? So right. E even here, it's kind of ambiguous. Yeah, well. Uh, he just says, I feel like my time's close to an end, and then 3,000 years, and he's been dead. You know, so... What was it? Did he did he go on another adventure or did he just Well, they kind of keep it open, age? don't they? Yeah. But I wanted an end. I wanted to some sort of explanation. Oh. Well. But anyways, it it gets me to wondering cuz I've heard <clears throat> rumors that Star Trek Beyond will reference Spock's passing. Mm -hmm. So, where does this story fit into the the timeline cuz well, it won't well, it won't jive with the movie. It has to jive with the movie. No, it doesn't have to jive. With the movie. It has. Why to. should? It? Why does it have to? Oh, well, okay. If they're going to say something about Spock being dead in this movie, then it doesn't well, jive with the with this these four issues. 
Well, we don't know when these issues take place, right? So, you know, when he's on the new planet, it says it's a year after the Romulans destroyed the red matter. So I guess it is possible that these stories take place a year before. Um, I mean, because they kind of the start movie. off right after the, the first movie, you know, with him leaving Vulcan society, kind of getting exiled and stuff. So, I mean, it kind of picks up right after the 2009 movie. And I guess it could all end one year before Star Trek Beyond. It could, but I doubt it. You just have this need to make everything fit. It has to fit. I, I, <laughs> I have the, even though they don't actually say exactly when Spock dies, you know, they're just ambiguously saying, oh, I kind of feel the end's near. Well, you don't know. Uh, right. And all you do is you jump forward 3,000 years. I really just don't think they have moved that far along in the movie yet. But maybe something that'll help is if we hear something about New Vulcan. Right. Because if they say New Vulcan is established and things are cool, things are moving along, well, uh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Well, they'll probably say New Vulcan's going well and Spock just died because of XYZ. Yeah. And he was there a year. <laughs> That's what they have to say. <laughs> okay. Well, whatever. It doesn't have to fit. Yeah. But if it does... Wonderful. And a lot of time has passed right. in the movies. Yeah, and a lot of time has passed in these books, right? I mean, we read them back-to-back, -back, but it doesn't say they happened back-to-back, -back, right? And they did start right after the 2009 movie. So these events could have been taking place at the same time as In the Darkness. We don't know, right? So, no. um, so I, I don't know. I mean, this could have ended right right at the same time as End of Darkness. And then if, End of, if the new movie's a year after End of Darkness, then that would all fit. But who knows? I don't know where, End of, I don't know where Beyond fits in the continuity yet. Haven't seen it. Well, I, I, didn't somebody say they're going to just completely forget about what happened in, <laughs> in, yeah. in End of Darkness? I have heard that they're not going to reference End of Darkness at all. Exactly. So they're not going to say anything about Kirk dying. Which is probably best. Uh, or the fact that he's got con blood in him, <laughs> and what ultimately that means. Right. And I doubt they referenced the big Gorn invasion from the video game. Nah. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff they don't necessarily have to reference. No. That no, doesn't they... mean it didn't happen. Okay. 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 <laughs> anyway, so I gotta say, I definitely was not expecting that the hero would end up being Rx. Uh, I was not expecting that either. Now, mind you, he wanted redemption. Okay, that's cool. But, you know, he was the big heavy in these three issues. So having him all of a sudden saying, I'm seeking redemption, and ends up being the good guy in the end, it seems a little forced. Not as forced, mind you, as when Darth Vader ends up picking up and killing the Emperor. But it seems a bit forced. So... Well, I kind of... What, what did he need redemption for? And he didn't partake in the destruction of Vulcan. I mean, he was still on Kronos, right? So he was still part of the, the labor force there because he didn't escape with Nero. Yep. Good point. So, so That's a very I mean, good point. What did he feel bad about? I guess that he was part of the... I mean, he did bring the... No, he didn't even bring the Red Matter over. That was Spock. 
yeah, so, yeah Spock he, had the red matter. He should have been okay. He's been like, hey, I was with Nero, but that boy is crazy. And I wasn't with him at the end, so I well, did that. I didn't have anything plotting, to do with Vulcan. He's been plotting a lot of things since he and Vela, or right. Rella, depending upon which book you're issued you're reading. You know, they've been doing a lot of things, but I don't. They didn't kill anybody, did they? Not that I remember. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they did. I think you. I think you are spot on about this. Hmm. He ultimately didn't do that much. He's right. just a. He's a minor. Yeah, he did. He was like you said. He was the heavy in the last issue where he was like, "How dare you let Spock escape?" And right, right. If right. his real motive was to somehow redeem himself, uh, I don't know why he'd be saying that. Well, maybe he came to that late. Right. Maybe he was just doing the anger thing, and then yeah, maybe he it was quite calmed down and realized. In route, he he came to his senses. Hmm. That what what is this going to really accomplish? It's not going to bring back my Romulus. Right. If anything, it's going to make my it's going to further alter the timeline so that my Romulus may not even exist, right? Right. Anyways, I thought this was a great companion piece to the Nero's miniseries, and (laughs) obviously uh, those few issues where the the Vulcans did try to use the red matter against Romulus, and ultimately. Romulans ended up having possession of it. So, if you take those three miniseries and put them together, uh, you got quite a good story, I thought. Yeah. I That's guess you great. would do Countdown first. You would want Countdown, and then the Nero, <laughs> and then that little arc within the ongoing with the Red Matter, and then this. Uh, that'd be a good series right there. Right. I agree. When you sit down and think about it, it's uh, quite an interesting tapestry. This whole split universe and all the possibilities that are going on. And the idea, which I never thought of, is the fact that, oh, that magical supernova, which destroyed the original Romulus, still out there, could could possibly happen in the future. Right. And according to Spock, it's gonna. So exactly how he had time to do that scientific analysis, I don't know. But he sounds pretty sure of his uh, facts. Well, so, he definitely uh, knew what to look for, right? He had that advantage going for him. Yeah, but when did he... Okay. We, yeah, I, again, we don't know how much time had passed. Yeah. I, well, before he went to Cyrano Jones, he could have gone to... You know, gone some, to the star, done a survey. Exactly. Um, <laughs> with all his Figured money out the instability have, that would kick off in like 80 years, or 60 right. years, or whatever. And, uh, okay, there you go. About 100 years, right? Because it was well after Next Generation timeline when it, when it did it. So, that was a point that I hadn't even thought of. So, that was cool that the writers brought that up. Right. I thought it was good. Yeah. And, you know, the whole SETI Alpha 5 I thought was good. Hmm. I did find it interesting that at the end, when they finally get the Vulcan console to listen to Spock and believe him. And by the way, couldn't they have done a mind meld, you know, a few issues ago? I mean, if that made everything okay... Whatever. But Kirk says that he and Spock did a mind meld. And Kirk learned the alternate timeline's future. And therefore the the Kelvin's possible future. And I went back and watched the movie. Or at least that part of the movie where the the mind meld goes on. In the Mm -hmm. 2009 movie. 
it seemed like Spock was only communicating some information, like about the destruction of Romulus and uh, how Nero and, and Spock got sucked into the into the past, right. you know, in the in the new timeline and blah blah blah. I don't remember Spock telling Kirk about SETI Alpha Five or about Khan or about any of that stuff. Well, I don't think they told him about Khan until well in the darkness. Oh, and he told New Spock about Khan, right? You know, verbally. So I'm just asking how did how did Spock communicate to Kirk about SETI Alpha Five in that 2009 movie Mind Melt? Right. I mean, yeah. it seems like it seems like that's what Kirk is saying in this book. Yeah, he says. He said, I think he just says you should really trust him, and then they're asking why why should we trust him? And he says, because well, I mind melded with him. Yeah, but and he's belie- and he's trustworthy, but yeah, you're he I could read it your way too. If well, if you actually go back and read it, and I did, yeah, his ver- his his verbiage, Kirk's verbiage, is insinuating that he knows about the the fate of Seti Alpha Five. Right. But I just says you should listen fine. to the advice, I... right? But he doesn't say I know that this particular part. But I, I get what you're saying. I don't know. He shouldn't unless we didn't see everything, right? Well, when I first met the ambassador, yeah, da, 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 da. okay. So Spock actually says, in doing so, he learned of the events in my original timeline. He, oh, saw, he saw that SETI Alpha Five is doomed. Yep. No, you're right. How so I guess we didn't that? see everything. Yeah, well. They're mine. Okay. One, Ken. Well, okay, okay. so in that case, Kirk should know about uh, Khan. Should have, yep. If their minds were one. And especially if he already got the SETI Alpha 5 info. Yeah. It's kind of related. Right. <laughs> anyway, just thought. Good point. That struck me as odd. So the opening shot of this issue I thought was great. They must have invested a lot of time into it, I think. You know, uh, tons of ships. Yeah. Yeah. This is the full page spread of the battle, and the Vulcans are getting their butts kicked. A lot of ships in play, and some are attacking, and some are being attacked, and I think it looks really cool. Great artwork. Yeah. I was a little disappointed in just the, the jarring um, movement of time between 57 and 58 that... <laughs> You know, when 58 starts and the way 57 ended, it is like the attack's happening now. And then you find out that Spock and all the elders are already safely on the planet in mm-hmm. like these little tents and stuff. Yeah. So I was like, eh, I kind of wanted them in the fray with it, you know. That was kind of surprising, wasn't it? It makes perfect sense. Sure. So, okay, so the red matter would definitely be destroying the ships, the fleet. Even though it sounds like They've only got skeleton crews, or at least just fighters. You know, right. people that are, are just, you know, th- there's no reason to, to keep people manning a transport vessel. All the people are on the planet, I have the impression. And it's like, okay, well, if most of the people are on the planet, and they probably just have the people manning, what, like, like the more offensive weapons on the Vulcan ships in orbit, well, destroying with the red matter the Vulcan ships don't seem like it's that big a deal. Right. I mean, some Vulcans will get killed, but most of them are on the planet. Unless, of course, the black hole is going to affect the planet also. 
or you're going to go down and start strafing all the people, you know, after the fleet. Yeah, that's right. Once you don't have anybody to defend you. Yeah. But then again, what's the big deal about using the red matter then? Like well, you I said mean... before, they got so many ships, they could just, and they just tear apart the uh, Vulcan fleet. Right. Anyway. And I kept thinking, I was like, well, if they started a black hole that close to the planet, it would destroy the planet, or at least damage it quite a bit, I would think. Right. But then it got me to thinking, and, and I didn't go back and rewatch like I wanted to, but in 2009 movie, they create that black hole pretty close to Earth, right? It's, it's within the solar system, right? The one that Nero yeah. gets sucked into? Um, it must. I mean, that's that's where they are. That's where the big right. battle is. So then I was like, well, maybe. <laughs> and then I was just like, oh, it's too much to think about. Because, I mean, you're, you're talking about the, the originally the jellyfish was supposed to take out a supernova that was taking out whole solar systems. And that, that uh, in itself is ridiculous. Right. <laughs> and I was just like, all right, I got to quit thinking about it because I, I'm just going to have to go with whatever the artist, whatever the author tells me. Because, uh, right. If you think too hard about it, it starts not adding up. It just unravels completely. <laughs> okay. So I thought um, the, I thought the lizard rock was really cool towards the end on the new, new Vulcan. Yeah. I thought that looked cool. What? What? You didn't like the lizard rock? He just looked like a lizard, like a. Oh come on! He looked like a rock. Or something. Yeah. Oh no! He. I... Okay, so you've actually seen lizards in that shape before? <laughs> Maybe not that shape. Okay, this thing. Re... For those of you that may not have the comic, this thing looks like a. This is this just looks like a rock. It's very cool. Until his eyeball opens up, and then a long tongue grabs a little bug. Exactly, dragonfly or something. So real quick, you mentioned uh, the woman Romulan's name changed from issue to issue. Yeah. So uh, in here, she's called Rella, and Mm -hmm. in the previous book, she was called Vela, right? With a V? With a V. So in 57 on page 10, was it? Something like that. She's referred to as V. Vela. And then in 58, several places, she's referred to as Rella with an R. Right. Odd. So that was probably a texting mistake. Sure. I mean, it, I mean, that her... or just that's his nickname for her. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. change the first letter. Hey, Rella. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. So it seems like it's lettering snafu, yeah. probably. Probably. Very minor. Not a big deal. My last comment is I really liked the cover. The, the main cover of the, the three eras of Spa. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, all in anymore. Very nice. Very nice. Yes. Oh, and, and at the very end, last panel says, in memory of Leonard Nimoy, and, and had his uh, birth year and, and death year. So mm-hmm. it was a little bittersweet. It was. But it was really good. So, so you think they'll do a similar miniseries issues type thing for... I always mess his name up, but the the gentleman who played Chekhov, uh, Uric, what, what, oh, 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 the new Chekhov. I was about yeah. to say, did 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 Walter die? Okay, no, yeah, no, 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 no. the the Yeltsin or Yeltin, right? Yeltin. Uh, I don't know. 
I don't know. This is kind of this kind of, kind of came up fast. I mean, we're not going to see a new Chekhov until the next movie after right. after uh, Beyond. So that's not going to be for another two or three years, right? So are they just going to continue on with the the image of the same actor until the next movie comes out? Right. Um, I know. So, or what? What they could do is they could just say that he's transferring to the Reliant, and then you can still even kind of fit it into the <laughs> original timeline. Because at one point he did go from the Enterprise to the Reliant, just I, yeah. a little earlier than he did in the real timeline. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They could handle it that way, and then when he comes back <laughs> in the next movie, uh. He Star Trek Beyond More, uh, you know, he can come yeah. back how whatever he looks like with the new actor. No, they will not recast him. What? What? Oh no! Oh come on! No, they'll just have that's BS. They'll have what? Well, you they're they're Ilya gonna get, or somebody. They're really going to get rid of Chekhov. You can't. Yes. Come no, on. No, no, I do not want them to recast Chekhov. They're gonna. They're gonna have to. Yeah, I hope, I hope they bring in Ilya. I hope they they try to go that route. And I know I'm mispronouncing her name. Whatever her name is. Bald right. lady. Right. <laughs> the Delton from Motion Picture. Yeah. Who we... In the next issue, we're going to see her. On the what? 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 In Next Gener- in Manifest Destiny? Uh-huh. Huh. All right, let's get to it, because I missed it. Okay. Anything else to say about this one? Nope. Okay, last thing to say is... It is totally stinking illogical why the Vulcans did not call for Starfleet aid. That it just yeah. made no sense. Forget about it. Starfleet yeah. failed them when Vulcan was destroyed. Really, really. So you're pissy about that. So you're gonna put your whole people in danger. Oh, makes no sense. Of course, mind you, it it allowed the you know the Enterprise to come in. The cavalry's here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's so forced, it makes no sense. Well, and the, they died. So, so many of the Federation ships were destroyed by Nero, so uh-huh. how could you say that they failed you when so many of their own ships were destroyed? That's right. I just found that cover. That's awesome. But keep going. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say. All right. Excellence so, four-parter. Let's start the next four-parter. Yes, Manifest Destiny, number one. Yeah, pretty cool. So uh, it's it's uh, Klingon time. Oh, it's Klingon time. Okay, so I get to do the summary for this one. Um, April 2016 is published date for this first of four. Mike Johnson and Ryan Perot. I assume that's Perot as opposed to Parrot. Art is by Angel Hernandez. Colors, uh, Esther... Sands, letterer, and world design, editor, Sarah Gatos, publisher, Ted Adams. Apparently, since this issue slash story arc is in celebration of Star Trek's 50th anniversary, they have a lot of covers. Also, because it's a Klingon story, they're also publishing them in Klingon, which is just cracks me up. There's not many people that could actually read those particular issues but here we go so cover a is dominated by a snarling klingon face 
the Klingon is holding up his Dachta knife, and in the shiny blade's reflection is Kirk and Spock, looking worried and apparently in a defensive position. Uh, there's also a Klingon version of the issue with everything's the same except that the uh, English title Manifest Destiny is replaced by the Klingon version of that text. And this cover is by Angel Hernandez. The retailer, instead of cover, also has an English and Klingon version and features McCoy all muscled up with a battle-ripped tunic and holding a batleth. At least six fallen Klingons are strewn up on the ground behind him. The doctor is pumped up and ready to rumble. This is the version of Dr. McCoy that Carl Urban was born to play, in my opinion. Covers are by Angel Hernandez. The subscription cover comes in an English and Klingon version also and has a cool riff on the old Star Trek The Motion Picture poster. Remember the one with the rainbow-colored vertical bars that come down uh, from the top and cover like 70% of the cover? Um, And it contains uh, the heads of Kirk, Ilya, or Ilya, however you pronounce it, and Spock. Of course, in this case, it's the Pine and Quinto version of Spock, but it still looks like it's the original Ilya. Covers are by Angel Hernandez. Also, just to mention it, there's also apparently a graphic novel version that has all the four issues in one binder, and it has a cover, and that shows Kirk and a nasty Klingon, and both of them have their fists cocked back and ready to throw forward at each other. They you know, punches. Starfleet and Klingon logos are behind and above the combatants with a flash of light between the logos. And this covers by Angel Hernandez, too. So, let's get into the story. To quote Kalis, To live is to battle. To battle is to survive. To survive is to conquer. Conquer the Klingons are doing on this fine day on a new alien world. They disrupt the peaceful scene of a village of green aliens going about their daily business. The aliens have no technology above spears and campfires, but that does not stop the brutal Klingons from blasting them from the sky, followed by foot troops landing with disruptors blasting and batleths swinging. It is a bloodbath. The few survivors are forced to swear fidelity or die. The victory goes to Commander Shoktak this day, but he laments the lack of a true test of their strength. He orders all to be killed, including the children, except for a limited number of able-bodied men and fertile females. A new crop of these aliens will be bred that will have no memory of life before the Klingons arrived. Shoktak's lieutenant, named Blath, questions his brutal orders, saying that would break the Klingon rules of war. Shoktak explains that in the frontier of the Empire, they make their own rules and promptly kills Blath with a flagpole through his heart. No one else questions Shoktak's orders, and they actually begin to carry out the brutal orders. Meanwhile, in the Enterprise sickbay, Dr. McCoy brings a four-legged Conadane baby into the world with a technical assist from Scotty. McCoy brings the baby from the transporter chamber to the parents, saying it was a challenging delivery, but he's really good. 
The father, in a Starfleet Command gold tunic, rushes over using all four legs and rips the baby out of McCoy's hand, saying, Conadans may only touch newborn babies until the passing of the fifth cycle. A perturbed McCoy rhetorically asks, So you're saying I'm unclean? Later on the bridge, McCoy is complaining about the Conadan crewmen ripping the baby from his arms. Ahura picks up a Federation distress beacon. But there should be no Federation ships out this far. They are exploring new territory at the edge of Federation space. Kirk orders course change to the location of the beacon. Kirk orders Sulu to lead an away team when they get there. Ohura and Bones will also be going. The away team beams down and follows the distress signal that takes them into underground caves. Radio contact with the ship is interrupted by the rocks above them. They find a radio transmitter that is not Federation tech, but has been altered to emit a Federation distress signal. They are immediately fired upon by Klingons! A red shirt is clearly killed when a red beam carves a hole in his chest. Sulu orders everyone back to the surface. Ahura tries to call for a beam out, but can't reach the ship. Sulu is shot in the arm. Meanwhile on the ship, sensors are picking up residual natio particles beneath the surface. Kirk recognizes that could be caused by weapons fire and orders shields up. Comms can't reach the landing party, so Kirk orders Scotty to invent a way to transport through the rock surface. Scotty acknowledges the orders by saying he's inventing now. Chekhov reports an unidentified ship decloaking to their starboard side. The Klingon commander hails them. It's Shoktach. Kirk asks who he is, and he replies he is the one that will take Kirk's ship. Chekhov reports ship is powering up weapons. The saucer section is slammed with disruptor fire. Meanwhile underground, McCoy is helping Sulu as they move quickly to the surface. Ahura is in the lead, and Zara is covering their flank, firing at their pursuers. McCoy is separated from the rest when a Klingon disruptor blast hits the cave ceiling. With fallen rocks separating them, McCoy is on his own against the Klingons. The others have no choice but to continue to the surface, hoping to make contact with the ship. McCoy is able to shoot one of the two Klingon pursuers. He is also able to tackle another one. The Klingon shrugs off the tackle attempt quickly and strikes McCoy in the face. His phaser goes flying with the impact. The Klingon attempts to use his batleth, swinging it with all his might in a death blow that McCoy is able to just barely dodge. The Klingon's momentum takes his head close enough to the good doctor that he is able to jam his trusty hypo into the Klingon's neck. Whatever is in the hypo sedates the Klingon and makes him a mumbling fool. McCoy retrieves his phaser and gets the sedated Klingon to his feet. McCoy moves them forward, hoping to find an exit when they come face to face with a Klingon female officer with four soldiers backing her up. She says with surprise how impressed she is with the human who was able to best two Klingon warriors. They will tell tales of your victory long after your death. Meanwhile, in space, the Enterprise is engaged in full battle with the Klingon ship. The Enterprise has taken significant damage, but Spock is able to locate what he thinks is weapons control. 
Kirk orders a full photon torpedo spread to that location. They appear successful in knocking out the Klingon ship's weapons, but Scotty reports the Enterprise's engines are out and they may not be able to keep the shields up much longer. Kirk says they bought themselves some time with that last salvo. Spock says, maybe not that much. The Klingons have switched tactics. Several dozen heavily armed Klingons in spacesuits with thrusters have left their ship and are streaking towards the Enterprise. We have incoming to be continued. Reminds you of Orion Pirates, doesn't it? <laughs> right. But instead of being in big billowy spacesuits that make them look like beach balls, like they're falling towards their prey ship, these Klingons are jetting over. Right. So the uh, Orions we're talking about, uh, DC Volume 2, or actually I guess it was DC Volume 1 did a right. Orion space pirate in similar scene. Right. But uh, yeah, these look pretty cool. It looks pretty cool, but does it... So what? <sighs> okay, so does the Enterprise still have phasers? Probably. Just shoot them. Just shoot them. The Enterprise doesn't have engines. No warp drive, no impulse. It still, still has shields. It's, well, yeah, but will shield... Okay, so that's the thing about shields. Shields will keep them protected as long as they're up against disruptor fire and torpedoes of whatever kind. But shuttles can pass through shields. Are these guys going to be able to pass through the shields too? My vote um, is no, they should not. Okay, but there is precedent, you will agree, in other uh, shows, movies, where people are able to pass through with ships and things. Well, it goes both ways. So again, it goes back to whatever the author's description <laughs> is. Exactly. Because we've seen ships completely cut in half because the shields <laughs> come on when another ship was too close. So, You know, that was both cool and ridiculous at the same time. But it's ha it happened. I know. Well, okay. Okay, fine. So it's whatever they decide. So, um, you know, these Klingons, I haven't read the next issue, but these Klingons have to get on the Enterprise. Yeah, There's got to be some hand-to-hand -hand going on here. So, But I'm just saying, they, they have phasers, just blast them. Wouldn't take that much, I wouldn't think. They got, they got maneuvering thrusters. I mean, can't they just, like, hey, you guys are coming after us. Uh, let's just do maneuvering thrusters and just keep us out in front of them. It's like, that could happen. It might be anyway. pretty hard to hit something so small. It's computer-controlled phasers. I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So just just throw a photon torpedo then. <laughs> That'll do it. I trigger it to detonate. <laughs> throw it out there. Yeah. Wait, what what are there? Like, there's like yeah. twenty of them. Twenty-four of them. Oh. And they're all together. They're in formation. They're easy targets. I guess that kind of reminds. Me, I I didn't think of it, but in the darkness they kind of did the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Where they launched themselves. Yep. And got into the ship. Right. Through a debris field. Right. So they would not be as easy to spot. Mm. But, right. I mean, did um, did the Vengeance... The Vengeance didn't have weapons control at that time, right? Right. But did it have shields? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember. We should know this stuff. We probably should. God, I feel bad. We should be more prepared. So, anyway. anyways. I, so. I like the scene. I thought it was cool. Oh, it looks great. 
I mean, I you know, I think the whole thing is very. I think the whole thing's very cool. And then the spacesuits have the the ridge notches in in the head. <laughs> That's kind of cool. <laughs> kind of reminiscent of their helmets in the original Star Trek movie. Right. Well, the 2009 Star Trek movie. Excuse me. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and they just look badass. Uh, bad butt. So, I mean, they got the red visors, at least most of them, because you do want to see, you want to see that it's, it's actually, it looks like it's actually the captain who's going after him. Right. Uh, Shook, whatever his name is. What did you think of him? Just his look. I thought it, I, I thought he looked pretty, pretty dangerous, pretty nuts. Yeah, but looked like, pretty... looked like his face had been ripped off at some point, because you could Glee. see like this Sewn back scar up. across his, Yeah. I was like, that's a cool look for a Klingon. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. It looks like he still has the staples in place. Right. So maybe he uh, was on the wrong end of a bat lift at one point or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's a good point. I did not notice that. Yeah, I really liked it. I thought he looked very cool. Very yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And that's the thing. A hero can only be as good as the protagonist that they go up against. And this one's a pretty good one. I think this one, at least so far, I, I think he's good. I think there's going to be some good, good hand-to-hand going on. Yeah. Well, and there kind of was uh, there on the planet already with uh, McCoy almost. Uh, he, you couldn't tell if he was doing it on accident or if he really was just that quick that he was able to bump into him and throw a hypo into someone's neck and you see what I'm saying? Um, like with yeah. McCoy, you know, you could read it one of two ways. One, it was kind of an accident that he stumbled into him and, and did it or oh, he really he is tackled. that proficient. Uh, I think he's that pro- proficient if he's, you know, if he's got his back to the wall. Right. So one of the Klingons had a disruptor and I guess the other one had just the bat lift. So, good idea. If you're going to shoot at one of them, shoot at the guy with the gun. <laughs> so, that's good. Um, so, that was smart of him. But then, being able to run across from wherever he was hiding and hit the other guy, that seemed unlikely. But, that's what they showed. Oh, yeah. He does run across, doesn't he? Well, he has to, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's in hiding. He's able to at least get one shot off from his hiding place, wherever he is. That's the oh. bad thing about these phasers, is that once you shoot one shot, everybody knows where you're at. <laughs> the beam of light's coming from over there. Uh-huh. It's still on. You can see it. Shoot him. Yeah, but quite frankly... Okay, so if you were in that position, and you got two guys coming down the road, and one guy's got a gun, and the other guy has a sword... Shoot the guy with the gun, and then shoot a second time at the guy with the sword. Why is he tackling him? Actually, they both have guns. And he, oh, do they? Yeah. So. Well, the other guy isn't using it. Well, the one. Oh yeah, no, you're when right. He, when he hits no, him, right. he they, they drops both it. have him. Yeah. And another thing is that blue light goes right through that Klingon, that first Klingon. Yeah. So that's a like phaser a set on kill. I guess. I don't know. That looks like a kill setting to me. I would think that if it was in stun setting, it wouldn't go through him. 
Yeah, but we've talked about this where it's the wishy-washy how phasers work because Sulu gets hit by a disruptor on kill and he's able to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he okay. It's okay, a but, disruptor. But they're showing these things carving holes in people. And I think they're fairly consistent. Well, yeah, no, it, they, they're fairly consistent. In yeah. There. So except for Sulu. They're they're not being disintegrated. They're having a nasty hole ripped in them. Yeah. So if that's the way phasers work now, then I would think you could wing people. All right, if that's how it works now, I'll go with it. Yeah. They just ne- better never show anybody disintegrated in the new continuity. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Quite frankly, I think that makes more sense anyway. I mean, totally disintegrating somebody with a laser... Uh, or a laser type directed energy weapon. It's like, does that make as much sense as carving holes in people? No. Uh, I, I think the way lasers work today, that carving holes in people makes a lot more sense. Right. But, but the phasers were always able to do weird stuff that shouldn't be able to do, like wide beam and. Well, what's wrong with the wide beam? Does it make sense? It's light. Does it change the lens on the on the device to suddenly shoot different ways? Yes, it's only light. Did you shoot it sideways? Uh, I'm not sure about that, but well, you, have you ever have, have you ever ever had a mag light? I'm not saying it's the same thing as a laser 100, percent but I'm just saying. Have you ever yes. had a mag light? Yes, you. But it's not. It, it's the not same directed thing. Directed energy. That's it's 100 percent the same thing. All right. I'm just kidding. But I'm saying that's the idea between wide beam and, uh, you know, normal setting. But if you could use wide beam, then you should use it every single time. Well, it would make aiming a lot easier. (laughs) Well, for stun, anyway. Right. right. I liked seeing uh, the female security officer with the, uh, I forgot her name. Zan? Uh, Zan, yeah. Mm -hmm. Haven't seen her in a while, so it was nice seeing her again. No, and it was it, it was just striking me that she's really cute. <laughs> so you know, with the little sassy, short cut hair, and uh, yeah. she just, just has a nice face. And it's like everybody has to be attractive. It is the future. Well, we're all going to be attractive. It, it is a Hollywood movie. <laughs> all right, uh, my last comment is the uh, birthing scene. Oh, straight out of Voyager. Well, I was thinking more of Friday's Child and Taws. Only they they didn't they didn't use a transporter. Oh, okay. Okay, so you talk you talk about the Voyager one. Yeah. Well, in the Voyager one, the Doctor beams out. uh, I forget her name. She was a main character in ongoing episodes, but uh, that little the little girl. uh, He Cass. No, no, I forget her name. She was she becomes friends with Seven of Nine towards towards the later seasons. But in the first season, or maybe the beginning of the second season, uh, her mom gives birth to her, and because she's some other alien that has like bony ridges and stuff that mm-hmm. a human human woman cannot pass this baby. Okay, if you know what I'm saying. Right. And so the doctor then uses the teleporter to just teleport it out. Oh, cool. So I don't remember that one. Yeah. But then the little girl grows up, and then when 709 eventually shows up, she becomes like a little companion to 709. So it shows like 
how the robot sees the world versus how this little innocent girl sees the world and how they're not that dissimilar. Uh, uh. It, was a, it was a nice little foil. Cool. But, uh, but yeah, this, this seemed... You know, if you can beam babies out, it seems like that's the way to go. <laughs> I think moms would probably agree with that. <laughs> you mean I don't have to be... Well, whatever. I'm not going to go into details. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so, so half of that thing they did here in this comic issue is from that and then the other half of it is from friday's child so you remember that one i don't remember okay so so julie newmar catwoman is a like a queen of some ancient feudal society or whatever Mm -hmm. warrior society and um some rivals are trying to kill her or something because she's about to birth the new king or whatever so the Enterprise crew, you know, gets in the way and whatever. So McCoy ends up having to birth the baby. Do you remember this one? No, I don't. Okay. So McCoy ends up delivering the baby. It's a rough delivery, and it's the same kind of thing. Uh, oh, you can't. The mother was saying, you cannot touch the, uh, you know, at first. She's like, well, you can't touch the, the royal baby, whatever. And then, um, and then she totally changes her tune when McCoy is able to get her through it and birth the baby. Um, and it's like, she won't let anybody touch the baby except for McCoy. Because now okay. she's like, hey, you know, he may not be royalty, but, you know, he's okay. Right. So, and this was just a little different in the fact that the uh, the father was still, even though you, you know, saved my baby and stuff, you can't touch it, you dirty human. Right. So. Huh. No, definitely I see it now. Yeah. Cool. You 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 make sure we're covered on Voyager, and I'll make sure we're covered on uh, Taws. <laughs> Will do. Okay. All right. What else you got? Um, let me see. Here's something I noticed. So the first time we see the Enterprise in this issue, it seems to have a blue halo around it. Right. Reminded okay. me of uh, the Green Lantern. It reminded me of the Green Lantern too. Only it was blue. Right. Which it might have been blue because Chekhov did that and he was the right, exactly. whatever lantern. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's no Green Lantern in this. So I was thinking, oh, is that shields? Are they trying to say those are shields? I mean, because for the most part in the JJ reboot, they may talk about shields once in a while, but you never see them. You never, yeah. see, the, you never see how they may keep the ship protected or anything. Uh, right. And in fact, later when the Enterprise is attacked with shields up, First salvo, <laughs> the, the saucer section's exploding. So thanks for the shields. So I, I kind of wondered about that. And then, of course, later when they're attacked, there is no blue halo around it. It's back to what they normally do in the uh, JJ verse. You know, there's no visible signs of shields. The shields don't seem to do anything because the ship blows up anyway. Anyway, there you go. Yeah, the, the Klingon ship kind of looks like it has a purple halo kind of outline oh, around cool. it, too. So um, maybe that is supposed to be the shields. Oh, during the um, battle? Uh, no, on that same page where it shows the Enterprise with the blue halo. I think it's page... Let's see, what's page number? Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. So page 17. Yeah, 17. Okay, so that's later. Cool. Oh, earlier, too? Okay, I, yeah, earlier. The first time we see the Enterprise. But it doesn't matter. Either case works. <laughs> right. So if you look back on page 10, 
Yeah, I see it now. You know. Yeah, definitely. It's really it's really prominent on page ten. Yeah. And then in the battle, good point. I didn't notice it coming up again. So, you know, it's there. Both ships seem to have the halo. And the and the shields, like you've said in the past, are like right against the ship. So instead of it being a bubble, an egg shape kind of thing around right. the ship, which I think makes more sense, it's like right up against the uh, ship. Well, if you remember in Star Trek Two. When, yeah. when they drop the Reliance shields, yeah. it's depicted as little lights around the contour of the Reliant. Not a bubble, a big bubble around it. Uh, it whatever. I mean, that, that's just a graphical representation <laughs> uh, on an instrument. Right. A graphical visual of something that you can't see with your naked eye. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm fine with you not being able to see it normally, but when the ship is getting hit, and it's supposedly actually doing something, supposedly I say, you know, the shield should flare up. I mean, you should see something, or at least see where the uh, the shots are stopped. Right. Um, yeah, you should see like little ripples and stuff through the shields if it's really something. Something, if there's something there. And if it's really close, that's fine. I Personally, I like the egg, the egg thing, but whatever, the egg shake thing, which is... All you see in Next Gen and a lot of the other series. But, That's anyway. A good point. But, yeah. but back to this. So the first time... Okay, so you see, you see before on page 17, they appear to have a purple-blue kind of glow, at least around the saucer section. Actually, that's interesting. Not, there isn't really anything around the engines or the uh, engineering uh, section. Whatever. But then the next page, where the Enterprise is being hit, it's exploding. Right. It's like... There's no shields there, or so it appears. Is it getting through the shields? The first salvo gets through the shields. Well, great. But then later they're saying they still have shields. So I don't know. I, I just don't know how Maybe shields those are exploding work on the shields in JJ verse. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but look at the damage. I mean, yeah, I isn't there damage to the the hull? Yeah, no. They talk about having damage. pretty stink, pretty stinking close to the bridge. Quite frankly, look at that. Anyway, well, if you're going to shoot him, that's where you'd want to shoot him. Well, exactly, because <laughs> that's the most logical place to put your command center. A, a, well, <laughs> in the center of a big bullseye. Yep, I think we said it before. Like in Halo, the Covenant, they build their command and control in the center of the ship. Hard to get to it. That makes more sense. Yeah, it does. You're using a view screen anyway. I mean, the idea of there actually being a window, a real window. Well, okay, in the maybe JJ verse there is. In the JJ, exactly. Now, <laughs> now if it's transparent aluminum, maybe, but it isn't because they've shown it kind of cracking. Whatever. You can crack trans- transparent aluminum, sure. But it's not gonna. It's not gonna. But they ha- they show it cracking like glass. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think aluminum. If it's gonna. Whatever. It's I not think real, kid. I think you know what I mean. I hear you. I know it's not real. All right, what else you got? Because we're kind of rambling a little bit. We are. Uh, I just want to comment that I think it's interesting how in this book and in the other books, they tend to use the word away team, which is a TNG thing, rather than the standard Taz landing party. Ah, I never caught that. Yeah. Well, I kind of like away team better. I mean, that makes more sense. But th- yeah, they do use away team. you never really land anywhere, hardly, unless you're taking the shuttlecraft. Right. I think the away team is is a better, more generic term. You're going away from the ship somewhere, 
fine away team. Uh, and um, that's it. That's all I have to say. Looking forward to the next issues. Yeah, me too. These Klingons are nasty. I'm They're right. nasty. And uh, that's that, what that makes opening, it more interesting. Those opening pages with the repelling. Mm-hmm. I mean, that shows them being repelled from ships and just blasting away at the aliens. It's, it, it was, like I said, quite a drastic change of pace from the last two issues that we were reading. Right. So. And, and I, like I said in the synopsis, I mean, these people are like <laughs> American Indians or something. Or, or or worse. I mean, they don't even have... They got spears and stuff. Right. Spears and loincloths. They don't have a lot going for them. And these Klingons are using their disruptors, their batliths, uh, shooting at them from, from their, their spaceships. Right. Um, right. Or their attack craft. It's like, oh my gosh, you, you, you guys just don't play cricket. Right. And then what, what do they say? They say, kill all the males and all the, ba- all the kids. Except for a only few. only leave the... Yeah. Fertile females, which I, I thought that was odd. Why? Why keep fertile females if? Well, they said fertile females and a few, few men, right? But they a want few... to kill the kids so that they can't grow up, grow up. and get vengeance. Exactly, and they'll probably kill the the parents and the few males left around for birthing because they don't want the kids to have any memory of uh, pre Klingon domination. Yeah. So, which if you wow. hey, if you don't want to have somebody come back at you later, that's the way to do it, I guess. But oh man. Anyway, uh, okay, last thing is, obviously for what's being said there also, this commander has his own party going. This is not necessarily Klingon Empire sanctioned behavior. Well, he does say claimed in the name of the Klingon Empire. Well, I know that, but the way his tactics, how he's going about doing it, his Mm. lieutenant is saying, hey, that's against the rules of war. Oh, right, right, right. at least there is, at least there are, there is some rules of conduct for the Klingons as opposed to just kill, kill, kill. Right. So that's kind of good to know. But you also know this guy, this particular commander, doesn't care about any of that. He's he's a loose cannon. So kind of reminded me of a more violent uh, chain from oh. Undiscovered Country. Yep. Less cultured. Right. <laughs> Less cerebral <laughs> and a lot more violent. Exactly. Well, next episode, we're going to be able to find out what the heck's happened with all this. There's all this conflict. Right. Finish this series off. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. too. All right. Well, until that time, hopefully everybody's seen the new movie. And if not, we'll go see it now that once they listen to us talk about it. (laughs) Exactly the new movie. Man, I'm looking forward to that. Okay. Thanks for joining us, everybody. On the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.